0: The following is a recording of a session from the 2023 Pinebridge-Benson-Elliott annual meeting. Mark Mogul, Pinebridge-Benson-Elliott's Chairman and Chief Investment Officer, sat down with Hani Retta, Portfolio Manager, Pinebridge Global Multi-Asset, to address the dramatic shift in current market conditions How today's cycle compares to turning points in cycles past and what that all means for investors thinking about their portfolio construction.
1: I guess it tended to fall to me to pretend I was an economist. Well, that's not true. I actually have my degree in (laughs) economics. I didn't have to completely pretend. But now I've got somebody in the shop I can go to with all of my questions. Let's start with this, if you don't mind. Would you, in essence, introduce
0: multi-asset? Absolutely, Mark. Uh, Good to be with all today. We're a team of 25 people managing about $15 billion in global multi-asset mandates, and we are essentially a go-anywhere type of strategy. So we cover all asset classes and all geographies, which just means I don't get a lot of sleep. We're really assessing what type of a regime are we going to be in over the coming five years or so, what are the defining characteristics of that regime? And then what implication does that have for different asset classes? Uh, and how are they valued? What does the relative value look like across all of those?
1: So less focused on a short-term trading strategy than a medium-term outcome.
0: That's right. Although it, you know that's our, the first step of our process, that's the anchor. What does the trajectory look like? Because as you would say, in your assessment of any asset, when you look at an asset class, you're going to value it over the full life of the investment and assess the valuation of the cash flows and the cap rates. But as you know, there'll be times when you're expecting that the, the market will deteriorate initially, perhaps, and then come back or vice versa. So what we've found is a key insight. And in what we do is that we uh, look for asset classes where the fundamentals are actually on an improving trajectory in that first nine to 18 months within the five years. So we want it to be attractively valued through the whole cycle. And then what we have found in working with with the real estate team is that, you know, what we can contribute is having this global footprint uh, with Pinebridge in over 15 countries, uh, investment professionals on the ground in those locations is a very global perspective. And in particular, I would highlight our understanding of China being just a fundamental driver of of the global economy, really difficult and opaque market to know. And our presence there and our uh, network has helped us to use that in developing what that regime looks like, because China always will play a critical part in shaping what that regime looks like. And, you know, we're actually in the month this month when China's leadership are going to be going through political change, which will set up the next few years for China. So that's a live example
1: right and, it, and, and the, it's it. been helpful to us because the truth is we don't spend our time day-to-day that's thinking about china and you've been very generous in sharing with us how what goes on over there can impact on us uh us over here i kind of painted a picture of a market uh, environment that's become uh, more volatile in the last uh, few months and you know you're not quite as old as I am, but you're no spring chicken either. (laughs) And so you've seen a few cycles Mm. and what I'd I'd be interested in your sharing with everyone is, is really the conversation we had most recently where we talked about this cycle and how it's playing out juxtaposed to some of the other cycles Mm. and what that kind of implies for some of the decisions or
0: recommendations you're making for the team and some of the things that we've spoken about. Absolutely. So yeah, this is really crucial because when we have a shock, an event like the pandemic, it tends to shift us into a new regime. And what I've learned over the years is there are a lot of people in the industry that are still going to be attached to the previous mm. paradigm. And just assuming we're just, you know, we're, we're going to swing back to where we were. We're going to go back to the way things were. And, and that destroys a lot of value. Because the valuation of different asset classes just fundamentally shifts, and there's no going back. And it's critical to be forward-looking because markets are going to gravitate to what that new regime looks like, and we have to figure that out. Not just assume that we're going to gravitate back to some magical historical average of some kind. So that's just an overall, uh, you know, why it's critical and why we look at things in in this kind of regime approach. Now, if I may, just rewind a little bit to understand, you know. How did we get here? It really, I think helps to inform you mm-hmm. know, where we're going. So the, the last cycle, you know, which was from the global financial crisis in 2008 up to the pandemic, um, that cycle was quite unique and it was the shock there, the global financial crisis was, as everyone knows, you know, over leveraging and overcapacity. And so the GFC, the financial crisis was, was a balance sheet recession. where where the private sector had to go through a painful process of deleveraging, okay? There was too much debt in the system on the private side. And so there was a period of deleveraging going on. At the same time, governments, uh, especially after uh, all of the problems with Greece, started to really kind of get religion over their fiscal finances. So we suddenly shifted to what I call fiscal frugality, austerity yeah. uh, by another name. And that's also a drag on growth. It just means that the, you know, the public sector side is also a, a headwind uh, to the growth backdrop. So we end up with a world with demand deficiency, okay? And excess capacity, excess supply because of all the build out uh, that led into the GFC. And what kind of filled the gap was monetary policy. on on steroids, (laughs) so to speak, right? Hyper monetary policy, just trying to stimulate and offset these drags on growth coming Mm -hmm. from deleveraging and austerity. And so we ended up with very distorted markets and the tools they used had very direct effects on financial assets. And they were very positive for financial assets. They didn't do much for the real economy, actually. So we ended up with a decade of very, Lackluster growth and a lot of frustration for the man on the street, the woman on the street, financial assets had a beautiful tailwind from all this liquidity coming into the system. Pushing
1: real interest rates way, way down, as I said, for folks who were, you know, particularly the European investor base that was looking for where do I find income? Do I find, you know, and particularly income that I can go to sleep at night trying to convince myself has got a, an inflation hedge associated exactly. with it. Mm-hmm. I did that slide, I don't know, a year, a year and a half, two years ago, where I talked about being trapped
0: in the asset class. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the search for yield. Yeah. if you Remember, that's what you used to call it, the search for yield. So that was the result of it. It was because of this demand deficiency, excess supply drags on growth, and monetary policy going full blast to offset that, and it you know pushed down cap rates, pushed down the interest rates, desperation for yield. Now the pandemic comes along, and this almost entirely flips the other way. Okay, so now because we've deleveraged the private sector, consumers, households are actually in relatively good shape. They don't have that massive level of leverage that they did in the GFC period. Um, and governments are not uh, flipping to austerity. Do you hear anybody going to austerity? I mean, even in this country right now, they're, you know, debating how much to increase uh, benefits and, and and so on, right? So Liz is going for growth. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. You see, that's the opposite of austerity yeah. and coming from a conservative government, right? Yeah. So that side of it, the, the public sector is behaving very differently. Just think of the amount of support that came in the pandemic itself. Huge amounts of deficit built up as a result. The household sector is in robust shape and the public sector is not going to austerity yet, at least. And we don't think there's any appetite for that. To be honest, there's just no political capital there. And so the demand side is now not the problem. Demand is actually pretty robust. Uh, It's not going to be the source of any issues with growth. Problem now is on the supply side. Okay, so we had excess capacity, a lot of slack. Unemployment was in double digits and it took us a decade to bring it down to 4%. Mm. A decade to get down to 4% last time, okay? So there was a ton of excess supply of labor and capacity and energy was abundant. What the pandemic has done, well, first of all, we we worked our way through that slack. We were already at like 3.7% unemployment the day the pandemic landed. So that regime was actually coming to a natural end anyway. So what the pandemic and the response to the pandemic with a lot of stimulus did, we've brought unemployment down from double digits back down to three and a half percent now in the US within two years, not a decade, Mm -hmm. right? So we don't have this excess supply, plentiful labor anymore. It's the other way around. We have shortages of labor and that's across the board. Even Europe is at record low levels of unemployment. Okay. So that's a very different picture because it can now start to actually generate inflation, the wage pressure right. naturally. Okay. At the same time, we've suddenly found ourselves with an energy shortage. Energy supply is constrained as well. For many reasons, we do not have the abundance of energy we need either. So you start to see this shaping up of stronger demand, less supply. What does that mean for us? It means higher real yields. And monetary policy now doesn't need to be going full blast. In fact, it now needs to withdraw because we have an inflation problem. So you're now in the process of withdrawing all of this excess liquidity in the system that was there because of all of these drivers of the previous regime. And that's headwind for all things financial, all financial assets. No, there's no real exceptions to that. We, we're all going to have to kind of go through an adjustment process across all asset classes as with uh, liquidity is withdrawn. And I think that's directly linked to what you're saying about real yields, yes, real growth.
1: But I, I do have to ask you this, your view on this particular question. You've kind of made the editorial point that fiscal policy was pushed too hard, too long. And the question is, do you see a risk now that monetary policy gets pushed too hard, too long?
0: Mm, it's a really good question. I mean, I think we're trying to find the clearing level. How are these two going to actually work? Because in the UK, for example, right now, they're kind of fighting each right. other. Right. Right. They're fighting each other. And that's not sustainable. I suspect the political landscape and this kind of supply demand balance means that there's no appetite to go back to very. Steer conditions. Governments are going to need to spend more than they used to. And the central banks are going to need to tighten enough to keep inflation under control, but may need to tolerate higher levels of inflation than they did before.
1: Since that may be good for us, I'm going to mm. ask you one last question, and hopefully I'm allowed to ask you this one. And it's a portfolio positioning mm. question, right? In the regime that you've just described, what is the guidance? you're giving to your team in multi-asset about
0: portfolio construction. Okay. So in the near term, our base case is that we are going to have recessions because that's really the only way to kind of reset this huge imbalance that we have between supply and demand. We think it's fairly unavoidable. Europe is probably going to go first in the fourth quarter. The UK as well. And the US, we think, will probably end up in a recession, but that's going to come later into next year. It could be even as late as mid-year or second half of next year because the U.S. is starting from a stronger position and has less of this energy problem at the same time. So we do expect recession in the near term. Now, that does create opportunity, right? So I was asked this question on TV the other day and I said, look, if you keep your powder dry and you prepare your shopping list and you've got capital to deploy, then... I'm actually quite bullish when it comes Mm -hmm. to that. Right now, we are positioned in our portfolios. We're positioned very cautiously. We were bearish all year and we've stayed bearish all year, continue to be there. But I'm getting excited in that. You're
1: preparing to pivot.
0: I'm preparing to. Yeah, I think it's going to come. I think it's within the next six months, we'll see a kind of troughing process. And we would have had a pretty good reset which will then give you the best opportunity to capitalize on that. So that's one thing I would say, what you said about distress is coming and being prepared. Yeah, if you translate it into a liquid portfolio that can be moved quickly, that's what we're doing as well. We're withdrawing risk, which we've done since the fourth quarter of last year. So we've stayed below neutral on our risk levels and now preparing to hopefully take advantage of dislocations and opportunity that comes in. That's one thing I would say. The other is that for active management, for a high quality investor, the previous regime was actually fairly difficult to to outperform it. And the reason is because this monetary policy on hyperdrive, pumping liquidity into financial markets every day, was essentially kind of a form of morphine, and, Mm. (laughs) and it prevented us from really seeing... Uh, reward for, you know, a discerning investor finding good assets at the right price. Right. Everything was being lifted, and so rewarded. even the even the cowboys were being rewarded. Rewarded for recklessness. That's the thing. And prudence was punished. Yeah. That's another thing, right? If you're a high quality risk focused manager, you effectively got punished for it because it was you were effectively paid to be more uh, aggressive. That is now changing. Because once you start withdrawing that tide that was lifting all boats, you withdraw that. And now assets have to stand on their two feet. And now you really need a manager who's going to be selective about what he owns. Thank you for listening. We hope you found Mark and Hani's perspectives on the outlook for the very critical months ahead interesting and insightful. For more thought leadership, please visit PineBridge.com.